Hope that you guys are, hope that you guys are <clears throat> encouraged. I know it's a lot of negativity out there, that's for sure. And you know, with all the violence and shootings and things like that, people tend to get very, very uh, discouraged. But we do know that these are the signs of the times. Um, it's been predicted, you know, in the book of Genesis, the Bible says that crime was on the earth and evil was continually increasing. And we can see that today where evil is continually increasing and violence is increasing. But God is going to have his way in the end. Amen. And we know in the end we're going to win because we're going to be with him. Amen. Luke 15 in your Bibles this morning. Luke 15 in your Bibles this morning. We'll be covering three parables this morning. Parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. As, all, as people say, the prodigal son. Everyone is lost until they come to Christ. Everybody is. Pharisees couldn't see that. They thought their religious hypocrisy would save them, and it couldn't. And Jesus was criticized for being with tax collectors and sinners. He was being criticized by the religious leaders. Luke 15, 1, Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes, they complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eat with them. Eating with a person uh, indicated acceptance. When you ate with someone, you accepted that person. And they couldn't get over the, pact, over the fact that Jesus accepted lost sinners. So he spoke to his parable to them, saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays hands on his shoulders and rejoicing. You know, a sheep was prone to wander off on its own. Um, the sheep was too weak to return to the shepherd. So the shepherd had to go find the sheep. He had to go find him. And we had come together, his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Now the Pharisees didn't think they needed any repentance. But everybody needs repentance. But the value of the loss, the value of the Lord he places on one lost soul the value that he places on one lost soul. The first two parables both pictures as God's taken is God taking the initiative in seeking sinners. When Adam said God took the initiative to seek Adam, he says, Adam, where are you? It is God taking the initiative. 
Christ told three parables. God shows interest. He's trying to get across to the Pharisees that God shows interest in lost people. People are lost. And God's love for them, he has a lot of love for uh, sinners who repent. Those who think themselves righteous as the Pharisees, they needed repentance too, and they were lost too, but they just didn't realize it. It is significant. Jesus attracted sinners while the Pharisees repelled sinners. What does this say about the church today? What does this say about the church today? Are we attracting sinners? Are we repelling sinners? Are we trying to push sinners away? We cannot forget about the lost. We cannot forget about sinners who need a savior. That is why we're here. Lost sinners came to Jesus, not because he catered to them or he compromised his message but because he cared for them. He understood their needs. He understood their needs and he tried to help them while the Pharisees criticized them and kept their distance from sinners. The Pharisees had knowledge of the Old Testament, the Old Testament law and a desire for, they had a desire for personal purity, yet they had no compassion for lost souls at all. God help us that we don't fall into that same category. But three words summar, summarize the message of this chapter. Lost, found, and rejoice. Jesus spoke three parables to answer the accusations of the Pharisees and scribes who were scandalized by his behavior. It was bad enough that Jesus welcomed those outcasts like sinners and Jesus taught them, but the he went as far as to eat with them, and he was criticized. The Jewish religious leaders did not yet understand that the Son of Man, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Even more, they were still blind to their own lost condition. And sinners... And they were sinners themselves, but didn't realize it. The lost sheep, he says, which one of you guys have a sheep? Jesus always had way with words. Which one of you having a hundred sheep? If he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one who is lost until he finds him? The lost sheep was maybe lost because of foolishness. Sheep has a tendency to go astray. And that is why they need a shepherd. The shepherd had to go get them and bring them back. I read where sometimes the shepherd would break their legs and carry him on their shoulders so he wouldn't run away again. But the scribes and the Pharisees had no problem seeing the publicans and the sinners. They had no problem seeing their fault. But they also were lost. They would not apply this to themselves. And yet the prophet made it clear that all of us have sinned and gone astray. Every man has turned to his own way. But God laid on him the iniquity of us all. The shepherd was responsible for the sheep. If one was missing, the shepherd would pay, pay for it out of his pocket. 
When a sheep wandered off, it was prone to predators. This explains why he would leave the flock, the 99, and go after the one. He would go search for that missing animal and rejoice when he found it. Not to find the lost sheep meant that it was money out of his own pocket. Plus, it was a disgrace because the shepherd might appear to be careless to let that sheep wander off. But leaving the 99 sheep, the shepherd was saying that they were important to him, that one sheep was important to him. They were safe. The 99 were safe. They were safe with other shepherds or they were safe in the sheepfold. But the one that was lost and strayed away was in danger of predators and could be killed and may not ever return to the fold. The fact that the shepherd would go after one sheep is proof that each animal is dear to God. Each soul is dear to God. Jesus was not suggesting that the scribes and the Pharisees didn't need any salvation because they did. They didn't think they did. But everyone needs salvation. He said, but there is joy in heaven. The angels know better than we do what we are saved from and what we are saved to. And they rejoice with us. Every time a sinner gets saved, there's joy in heaven over one sinner. And in my evangelism, in my evangelism experiences, I always go after the one. I always go after the one. You know, you get people by themselves, they're a total different person. Now, while, while they're among their friends, they don't want to be uh, they want to be cool and they don't want to be dropping their guards. But when I go after that one, he's more open to receive what I have to say. So we don't have to go after the multitudes. Let's go after the one. Let's win people to Christ one at a time. The angels rejoice. No, no creature will stray more easily than a sheep. He's incapable of finding his way back to the flock. When once he goes astray, he, he will go into the opposite direction to a place all by himself. No creature is more defenseless than a sheep and more exposed to uh, devoured dogs and beasts and predators than a sheep. It may seem foolish for the shepherd to leave the 99 to go search for the one, but the shepherd knew that the 99, they were safe, but the one off by himself was in danger. Same thing with the body of Christ. When people veer off from the body of Christ and go off by themselves, they're in danger. They are in danger. And that's what Satan wants. They say when a soldier in a in a combat situation, if he strays away from his unit and goes off by himself, his chances of, the, of survival is zero. We need the body of Christ. We need each other now more than ever with everything going on. So come to church. Bring your family to church. Let's encourage each other. Let's pray for each other. Uh, the Bible refers to us as sheep. Jesus said, my sheep, hear my voice, right? 
Uh, uh, maybe they're saying something. Maybe we're not as smart as sometimes, you know. <laughs> but he still loves us. So sheep, sometimes they would eat. They would lay down someplace, couldn't get up. If there was water nearby, they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't go drink it. They would, they would just lay there and just fall asleep. So the shepherd said, I got to go get that sheep and bring him back because there's no way he's going to find his way back home. It is no way. And that's the job of a shepherd is to protect. The parable of the lost coin, the lost coin, verse 8 through 10 a what woman having ten coins, if, he's, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweeps the house, and searches carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of angels over a Angels of God over one sinner who repents. Again, nothing can match a soul being saved, a lost sinner. I don't know how many of you guys have ever had the pleasure of leading somebody to Christ. There is no greater joy than that. There is no greater joy than to lead another person to Christ. But there's also joy in the presence. Who finds this lady lost the coin? She finds it. She had joy. Others rejoice with her. There was joy in heaven. The angels knows somehow they know when people get saved. I don't know what, but they know what you were saved from. You were saved from hell, and they know you were saved that you're going to heaven, and they rejoice. The woman had 10 coins. When a Jewish girl got married, she began to wear a headband of, of, of 10 silver coins to signify that she, was, that she was now a wife. And it was the Jewish version of the modern day, the modern day wedding ring. And it would be considered a calamity for her to lose one of these coins. Palestinian houses were dark, so she had to Light a lamp, search until she found the lost coins. And when she can, and, and we can imagine the joy she had when she found that lost coin. Because when she got married, she had these beautiful headbands. And man, if she lost, it was sentimental, sentimental value to her. To lose a coin would be the ruin of the whole necklace. And it'd be very embarrassing for her. I don't know how many of you guys have ever lost your wallet, but that is a bad feeling. You ever lost your wallet? Man, I tell you, I, I, I lost mine last week. <laughs> I said, my wife, what's my wallet? She said, I don't know. I, said, I searched the car. I looked under the car. I went in the garage. I looked under the table. And when I found that wallet, I was just rejoicing, just like this woman. She, when she found, she, she rejoiced. When, I, when, when you found your wallet, you, you just feel so good because I have my credit cards in there, my driver's license and all that in my wallet. And when you find your wallet, because you're saying to yourself, man, what if somebody else gets this wallet? Man, my credit card's in there. You know, you could go out. 
That credit card is $18,000. You know, he could run it up before I get to the store, you know. <laughs> so I don't know if you ever lost your car keys. That's another bad thing. But that's a bad thing, too. Sometimes I'm going, I'm going to church on Sunday morning. I say, where's my keys? <clears throat> but I found the keys, and the keys were on the kitchen table under a little piece of, under a little piece of paper all the time. Looked right over them. But losing a coin back in those days was like losing a wedding ring. Just as a woman would rejoice at finding her lost corn, so the angel would rejoice over a repentant sinner. And we should too. Every time somebody comes to Christ, boy, we ought to be clapping and yelling and screaming, yay! But every individual is precious to God. And he grieves over the loss. And he rejoices when one sinner is found and is brought into the kingdom. Perhaps we would have more joy in our churches if we share Jesus' love for the lost. Diligently seeking them and rejoicing when they come to the Savior. Let it be understood we didn't find Christ. Christ found us because Christ wasn't lost. We were sinners, helpless people. On their way to hell. Verse 11, the parable of the prodigal son. The word prodigal means wasteful, but it could also be called the parable of the loving father. For the emphasis, the graciousness of the father more than the sinfulness of the son. We will see how he's forgiving and how he's loving. Said at verse 11, then he said, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of good that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. According to Jewish law, an, an elder and the older brother received twice as much as the young. And the father could distribute his wealth during his lifetime if he wished. But it was perfectly legal for the younger son to ask for his share of the estate and even to sell it. But it was certainly not a very loving thing to do on the son's part to ask for his inheritance before the father passed away. That was very inconsiderate. He was saying, I wish you were dead so I can get my inheritance. The younger son did not want, he did not want to wait until his father's death to receive his inheritance. He was probably a teenager. He was probably unmarried. But what is unusual here is that the younger son initiated the division of the estate. The younger son initiated the division of this estate this showed arrogant disregard for his father, disregard for his father's authority, and disregard of his father's head over the family. His father responded to his young son's request and allowed him to make his own choice and to make his own decision. Concerned inheritance, 
that he really had not earned the inheritance. This inheritance was freely given to the son because of the relationship that he had with his father. With his father, he was not entitled to an inheritance while the father was alive. One third went to the younger son, two thirds went to the older son, Deuteronomy 21, 17. He comes to his father one day. He says, Father, give me my inheritance. I'm out of here. His father didn't try to stop him. This was a young man. You can't hardly tell a young man anything. You know, a young man, he knows it all. The father didn't try to argue with him. He didn't try to change his mind. He simply let him go. Something we should learn as parents, when our kids want to leave home, as my parents told me, because my parents had guidelines in the home, in the house, and if you step across those guidelines, you had to leave. When you got too big enough, too mature enough, where you couldn't obey the rules of the home, you had to go. This father backed off unless his kid made his own decision. And sometimes we have to back off and let our kids make their own decisions, whether we agree with them or whether we don't. His mind was made up. He wouldn't listen anyway. If, if, the, if the father had tried to convince him, he wouldn't have listened anyway. The father didn't try to stop him. And his father didn't go looking for him once he left. The son wanted to get out from under his father's authority. He wanted his freedom to do whatever he wanted. He was trying to find satisfaction in the world because he was discontent at home. The young son had everything he ever wanted at home, yet he wanted to leave home and go his own way. Discontent at home. He wanted to be independent of his father, although for centuries this parable has been called the prodigal son. In reality, the story revolves around the father who is mentioned no less than 12 times in this parable. A more appropriate title would be the, pro the parable of the loving father. While the father might divide his estate before he died, the request of the young son was a scandalous cold like saying to his father, I wish you were dead so I could just get out of here. But as a younger son, he probably received about a third of the estate and he had to go. He had to get out of there. Wasn't entitled to anything while his father lived. Well, he came to his father, had everything he wanted. I think it's a, a danger to give a child everything he wants. I think it's a danger. I know when I was growing up, we had chores, man. We had 20 acres. We had mules and cows and horses and pigs and, Lord knows, chickens and everything else. And we had to maintain. If you wanted money, you had to earn it. What no allowance? What was an allowance? I didn't know what an allowance was. What is an allowance? I didn't know what that was. You better go out and do something. So he came to his father, verse 13, and, and not many days after, other words, he didn't waste no time. The young man gathered all together and journeyed to a what? A far country. And there he wasted his 
possession with prodigal living. He wasted everything. Not many days, a younger son, he gathered everything together. He went to a far, the Bible says, a far country. He wanted to get as far away from his father as possible. He spent the money in restless living, wild, loose living. He couldn't wait to get out of that house. And we're going to find out later, he can't wait to get back. Maybe the world wasn't quite the way he thought it was and made things didn't turn out the way he thought. Verse 14, so when he had spent all, I mean all, there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want. You would have thought that he would have saved enough for a phone call. He thought that his money would, la would last forever, and he thought the money would never run out. He was spending it so fast until he wasn't keeping track of how much he was spending. One day he wakes up broke. Now he's far from home, and he's scared, and he's lonely. And now it's a famine in the land. No food and no money to buy. If he, if he had the food, he had no money to buy it. And for the first time, the Bible said he began to be in want. He has never been in want in his whole life. Never. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. Hmm. That's as low as you can get for a Jewish boy. That's a disgrace. The life in the foreign country was... was not, not what he expected. His, re, his resources ran out and his friends left and the famine came and the boy forced, he forced to, to join himself to get a job. Feeding the swine was the lowest employment, particularly for a Jew. It was forbidden to the Jews to eat swine. And of course, it was unlawful to keep any pigs. Now the, the man is feeding the swine this is, this is the violence, the most vilest employment for a Jew. This is disgrading. But now he's desperate. He says in verse 15, and he would gladly fill his stomach with the parts of the husks that the swines ate, and no one gave him anything. Hmm. No one gave him anything. When he had money, he had friends. Money ran out. Guess what? Friends ran out. <laughs> Left. No one gave him anything. The boy is living a sinful life, and they say sin will always take you further than you want to go. And it and will cost you more than you can afford to pay. No one gave him anything, so now he's reduced to begging. His worldly friends have deserted him. When the money was gone, so were they. He found out that the things of the world did not satisfy. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he came to his senses. In other words, this boy had hit rock bottom. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with his hunger? Means 
he, he literally returned to his right mind and realized he realized how good he had it. How foolish he had been. Now he's thinking about home and he's saying, you know what? Maybe home wasn't quite as bad as I thought. I'm down here eating with the pigs, man. He's a, he, he, he was in a hurry to leave home, couldn't wait to leave home, but he's going to be happy to return. Sometimes you don't appreciate what you got until you lose it. He had everything he ever wanted at home, and now he has nothing. He's in a far country, and now he, re- he realizes how good that he had it at home. My parents told me a long time ago, back in Memphis, Tennessee, she said, you know what? Home is the best place you ever going to have. Well, she wasn't wrong. When I got into that world, it was like a whole different ball game. It's cold out there, man. It's cold. It's doggy dog out there. He had hit rock bottom. He came to his senses. It is often takes great sorrow and tragedy for people to look up. It takes great sorrow many times and tragedy for people to look to Jesus. So he came to himself, he came to his senses, and he said, man, he came to his senses, he probably scratching his head saying, what in the world was I thinking? He knew he had it. He knew he had made poor poor choices. He knew it. And his father allowed him to make those poor poor choices. He said, I was, verse 13, said, I was to ride and go to my father. And I will say, now he's going to rehearse his speech. He got it all in his mind, what he's going to say to his father. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I've sinned before, in other words, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I'm not, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He left, he left home arrogant, came back humbled. He left home arrogant and proud, and he came back humble, and he came back embarrassed. He is hungry, homesick. He's lonely. He's broke. No friends, far away from home. He's scared, but now he's submissive. Why? Because he hit rock bottom. Some people just, know, just have to learn the hard way. Some people just have to learn the hard way. He fully expected to be hired as a servant by his father. That's what he expected. Not to be taken back as a son. He had his speech all rehearsed, what he's going to say to his father. Verse 20, he arose and came to his father. Amber alert. And when he came to his father, but when he was still a great far off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran on, on his neck and kissed him. This, was, this is a kiss of greeting. The, the, the Greek said he smothered him with kisses. His father smothered him with kisses. He, sh- he showered him with kisses. Offering compassion, his father offered forgiveness and acceptance and restoration. In the East, the old man did not run. This father did, though, to show his love and forgiveness. It kind of reminded me of Joseph, how Joseph forgave his brothers after what they had done to him. The father had been waiting and looking for his son to return. 
It said when he was a great way off, his father saw him as if the father was looking for him and expecting him to return. And the father fell on his face and kissed him, ready to forgive his son. The father could have said, the father could have said a lot of things. He could have said, listen, you had everything you ever wanted. You were stupid to leave this house, had everything you want. Now you made your bed, sleep in it. You're reaping what you have sown. That would have been true. But the father never brought up the past. Isn't that good with God when we make a mistake? I was saying that he will remember no more. When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Father could have said a lot of things. You had it made here, but you wanted to leave. Now you're broken, beat down, coming back smelling like a pig. And you want me to take you back? No, the father didn't say that. But his father never reminded his son of his past. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer be worthy to be called your son. And he was right. But he never lost sonship. Even when we mess up, even when we make mistakes, even when this son made mistakes, he never lost his sonship. He was still a son. Once you become a son of God and a daughter of God, you can't lose that. I'm saying you can't reverse it. Once you're born again, you can't reverse it. It's done. It's sealed. It's a done deal. Note that the son did not get to finish his rehearsed words. He had rehearsed his speech and his father interrupts him and grants forgiveness. This is a picture of God's love toward us. But the father said to his servants, verse 22, bring out the best robe and put it on him and a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Without a single word of rebuke for the past, the father points, the father pours out his love for his son and expressed his joy. His father honored the boy. He honored the boy's homecoming by preparing a great feast and invited all the people to attend. Bring out the robe. It reserved for the robes were reserved for the guest of honor. A ring, a symbol of authority. It was a sign of sonship. Sandals on his feet. That was not usually sandals wasn't usually worn by slaves. Therefore, he said, put some sandals on his feet. He's not a slave, he's a son. Verse 23, and bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. The fatted calf was reserved for special occasions. Verse 24, for this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. And they began to be merry. For as the father was concerned, the boy was dead. He hadn't heard from him. But now the oldest son in the field as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed a fatted calf. But what? But he was angry and would not go in the house. The older brother didn't care if he was safe or not. 
Therefore, the father came out and pleaded with him to join the celebration. The older brother refused to attend. He refused to attend the banquet. He had no compassion for his younger brother. He didn't care if he was safe and sound. The brother, older brother, he stayed outside the house and he just pouted. Instead of rejoicing that his brother was safe. Verse 29, so he answered and said to his father, Lo, he says, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. He's telling his father, hey, you know, I've been here all this serving you. I've never transgressed your commandments at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat. That was the cheapest you could get. Even a young goat was the cheapest food that you didn't even get me a young goat. You gave him a fatted calf. You didn't even give me a cheap little goat. But you gave this son... But he said in verse 30, but this son, but as this son, as this son of yours came, he didn't even want to call the boy by his name. He hated him so bad. Verse 30, but as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fattest calf for him. He could not even say his brother's name. He said, this son of yours, he came home and you're going to do all this for him. And I've been here all the time. This is a deep ex- expression of contempt. The older, the older refused to acknowledge his brother. And he said to him, verse 31, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. You, sh- you should rejoice because you have everything you need. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother who was dead is alive again and was lost and found. The elder brother would not forgive his brother who wasted the family's inheritance and disgraced the name of the family, but neither would he forgive his father who graciously forgiven the young man of his sins. The prodigal son is an example of sound repentance If anyone repents, God's always willing to forgive. Sin promises freedom, but it only brings people into slavery. It promises success, but it brings failure. It promised life. Sin promised life, but the wages of sin is death. The boy thought he would find himself, but he lost himself when he left God. When he left his father's home, everything the young son had hoped for in a far country, he discovered it back in his home. He already had it. He had clothes, jewelry, friends, joyful celebrations, love, acceptance, a bright future. The elder brother would not forgive his brother who wasted the family's inheritance and he disgraced the family. But neither would he forgive his father who had graciously forgiven that boy of his sins. Perhaps the most disturbing thing about the elder son is his fierce anger. He was angry at both his father and his brother and would not go into the house and he, he wouldn't even enjoy having enjoyed in the celebration. The, the elder boy, the, the older boy was angry with his father because he had given the young son a feast and that the older brother had always, he always wanted it. He probably could have got it if he asked for it, but he said, you never, even gave, you never even gave me a goat, he said to his father. But you've killed the fatted calf for him. 
the older brother's dreams were all shattered because his father had forgiven the prodigal. The father had forgiven the prodigal. Of course, the elder brother was angry at his younger brother for, for getting, the, getting all the attention and getting special gifts from his father. As far as the older brother was concerned, the younger brother didn't deserve any of it. Had he been faithful? No. Had he obeyed his father? No. Then why should he be treated? Why should he be treated so kindly? The older brother refused to go in. He straight out, he stayed outside the house and he pouted. It kind of reminds me of Jonah. When the people of Nineveh got saved, Jonah gets angry because God saved the people. This guy gets angry because his brother's home is safe and sound. The older brother. Everybody in this chapter experienced joy and peace except this older brother. This older brother was unwilling to forgive, so he did, he did not experience joy and peace. And no one will experience joy and peace until you forgive. And unforgiveness it is going to lead eventually to bitterness. So forgive quickly. The shepherd, the woman, and their friends experienced joy, finding... But the younger son experienced joy returning to his father. But the elder brother would not forgive his brother and he had no joy. And you'll find even in the church when people will not forgive and when they get bitter, they are not going to have the joy of the Lord. They're not going to do it. He could have repented. He could have repented and he, he could have attended the feast, but he refused. He stayed outside. And he's pouted and he's angry and he's mad and he's unforgiving and he have no joy. If you are unforgiving, you will have no 